A veteran charity is hosting a new track series to reduce veteran suicide. The format is track cross, like a time trial or time attack, but with just one car running at a time. Drivers compete individually and as teams. The event is at Summit Point Raceway on October 22nd. Registration is on motorsportreg.com. Search for Top Dog Track Cross. Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Greetings, Caleb. How are you? Doing well. And we have, it feels like everything to discuss on this week's episode. All the things. Season finale, a race winner, a new series champion, silly season, getting absolutely silly. All to come on this episode. Of course, we'll start with... Alex Pillow, the winner of the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca last weekend. Will Power claims the IndyCar Championship. He picked up his record 68th pole position and basically just did what he had to do, right, to, to get the race, the, the championship win. Joseph Newgarden, an incredible rally back to come home in second, but couldn't quite uh, do enough. Probably had to win the race, right, to to truly get it done as he falls by 16 points. Scott Dixon never really a factor on Sunday. But this this race had a lot of passing, surprisingly. A lot of action, an amazing charge to the field by Newgarden. But ultimately, Alex Below, a dominant performance, despite having a, a grid penalty with an engine change. He dominated this one. Will Power just kind of minded his own business. And Joseph Newgarden did his best, going from 25th to 2nd. But Alex Pillow, a race winner and a new deal, if you will, staying in Jim Ganassi <laughs> Racing. Just as we all expected. Yeah, in 2023 for now. And again, Will Power's second series championship. So uh, I guess we'll get into our three things and we'll start, I think, the obvious starting point, Will Power. We joked about this at the start of the year and it got to be kind of an old storyline, right? But the new focused willpower, I mean, he really did stick to it relatively the whole season, and it truly did work. He had, what, nine podiums throughout the season? Yes, he only had the one race win at Detroit, but he had he had a great year, a couple of pulls. He was just so consistent, only three finishes outside the top 10, 11th at Nashville, 15th at Toronto, and 15th in the Indy 500. Just amazing consistency for him. He earned it. He changed his racecraft, and he figured out what to do, and it's to simply collect points. And that's what he did this year. Instead of going for broke to win races, he collected points. Only the one race win. It, it, it's hard to believe that we have a series champion who only won one race, but his consistency was the key, and that is why he's the 2022 NTT Car Series champion. Three races in particular stand out on why Will Power won this championship, and none of them were wins for Will Power. They were starting the season at St. Pete with a podium, and Joseph Newgarden finished 16th. It was at the GP in May. Will Power finishes on the podium. Joseph Newgarden finishes 25th. And the second Iowa race, where Will Power finished on the podium, second, and Joseph Newgarden was 24th. Those are the three races that had the greatest difference between these two drivers, and they all went Will Power's way. That is why he's series champion. 
And, you know, we can talk about key moments in the season. I think the obvious one is the Iowa race two crash that Newgarden had where he looked very likely headed on to a weekend sweep at Iowa. And then Scott Dixon's pit lane speeding penalty at the Indy 500 to go from almost a, a sure top three, most likely a win in that race, to finishing in 21st. I mean, those were season-defining and championship-defining moments that went Will Power's way. Those are the moments, too, that go unnoticed until we're sitting here after the sa- season and say, where did this go how did this happen to where Will Power won only one race and won the championship and Joseph Newgarden won five races and didn't? And it's those races that the two finished so far apart. The only race that had a similar distance between the two that went Newgarden's way was when he won run Road America and Will Power finished 19th. But other than that, you know, Will Power was there blow for blow with Joseph Newgarden and with Newgarden had issues or got caught up in some trouble, willpower capitalized. And it's exactly what he had to do. Didn't necessarily need wins, but he needed to finish clo- close to the top of the, of the race to maximize the, the points difference. You know, it's not on his mind at the time, of course, but you can see the races that stood out. St. Pete, the GP, and Iowa, too. So Will Power, again, just changing his style and becoming a new driver, and that's why he's a two-time IndyCar champion. And I think this was one of those things that he finally got the Indy 500 right in 2018, got that win, and now picking up a second series championship. This tends to match up better with what he's accomplished over his career. Well, and you look at the company now he's in with guys with two titles, and it's Joseph Newgarden, and it's uh, Al Unser Jr., and Johnny Rutherford, and Bobby Unser, and Sam Hornish Jr. won three, which is the next goal to get. But, you know, Tom Sneva won two, you know, Zanardi won two, so Jill DeFerrin won two. So a lot of guys that are respected around this sport have won multiple IndyCar Series championships. And I think it's an additional feather in the cap of Will Power's career to add that second and really puts him into some rarefied air within the sport. What is your first takeaway from this one? Well, my first takeaway, we'll talk about Joseph Newgarden, and let's talk about the positives first. I mean, his drive through the field was absolutely phenomenal uh, and exciting. You know, I know everybody wants to talk about the past. That's 26 years ago, yet we're still talking about it. But Joseph Newgarden made at least three big-time passes in the corkscrew last Sunday. Textbook, exciting passes. And one of them was Grosjean Grosjean, which was probably the most worrisome part of the race for me is when Will Power was right ahead of Roman Grosjean. And it's like anything can happen if Grosjean catches Will Power. But, you know, Newgarden was able to pass and, and, and scythe his way through the field. It was very impressive. I felt like the drama was a little contrived considering it didn't matter if Joseph Newgarden passed Will Power because Will Power was so far ahead in the standings, he basically needed a win and Will Power to just drop like a rock. And unless something catastrophic happened mechanically, that just wasn't going to happen. But it was still a very, very impressive performance out of Joseph Newgarden. And, you know, with Newgarden charging through the field, you almost wondered, oh, is it going to come apart for Power? Is he going to make a mistake or get caught up on something or just have typical Power bad luck that he's had over the years in these championship races, whether it be with Dario Franchitti 
or Scott Dixon or Ryan Hunter Ray, where it just it never seemed to go his way right. But this year was totally different. He was able to withstand things, and Newgarden had a, a great charge, as you mentioned. To say you can't pass to this track, uh, obviously Newgarden moving 25th to second, and what Pelot did moving up on the grid. We'll have another stat later on why the last couple of races at Laguna Seca have gone completely against the norm. But Newgarden moving up through the field, I thought, okay, could something change and not go Powers' way? Because it felt like outside of the Road America incident with Devlin Francesco, things largely went Powers' way this year. I think what the most impressive thing is about Will Power is he's moved on from us being able to say that's power being power. And I think once you get that moniker, we talk about Sato, that's Sato being Sato, that's Grosjean being Grosjean, that's Kellett being Kellett, maybe. Um, We can't say that's power being power because the power of old no longer exists. And it's absolutely enlightening and, and great to see the maturation out of willpower and it's it's coming at an advanced age i mean it's not like he came in as a teenager and and this has been him you know since he turned 30 or something i mean this has been a process and to be able to stick to your guns even after facing adversity at places like indy and road america and toronto over the year over this season he still kept it together finished strong and wins a championship and i think that's a testament to a guy that was still a successful race car driver as is, but made the adjustments to his persona on and off the track, I feel, to to make him even better. And the reward was a championship. Yeah, he just he seemed focused and we thought and we mocked it. We gotta own up to it, right? We mocked NBC constantly talking about power's new mentality and <laughs> he was a I'll different still mock driver. It, but I mean it worked. It it worked. And we have to own up to it because we didn't think it would last. Well, it, it certainly lasted the, the entire season, and he walked away with a championship. All right, what's your number two point? All right, number two. How about the the rookie battle? And Christian Lungard, look, he had a, a great season. We expected him to excel at, at IMS on, on the, the road course track. But what he was able to do throughout the season, win rookie of the year, finish really strong, Got a podium, a couple of uh, top tens, I think five top tens on the year. Six. Six. See, yeah. Don't don't let me count because that's not my strong <laughs> suit, as you know. But he finished 14th, just five points back of Grosjean and 13th. David Malukas comes home uh, losing out on that rookie battle as he finished 13th. It's solid result, right? But Christian Lungard, a fifth place Laguna Seca. I mean – this is a guy who, again, next year will say he's a prime candidate to get a race win. I would agree. Natural progression by Christian Lungard, you know, friend of the podcast. We'll call him a friend of the podcast, even though it's been on one time. But hopefully we can get Christian on again, maybe in the offseason or as we head into 2023. But just a great performance. You know, it started, of course, last year, that late substitution at the Indy GP uh, late in the year. You know, did a great job, faded late, but, you know, kind of the inexperience with the tires cost him. But, you know, showing the potential and the potential that I see is he could be the number one driver at Ray Hall Letterman Landing in next season. I really believe his uh, his development is is on the rise considerably. I would agree. Graham Ray Hall coming in 11th in points, but Lungard was not far off, 22 back on the season. And what Lungard was able to do, so close to getting the pole right at Nashville, 
Um, he's had some some good runs throughout the year, and he's getting better on the ovals. I think that's the other thing. An, another year of more testing experience, more oval experience. He'll be even more competitive on those next year. And and for him, just finishing the Indy 500, I mean, that that's that's what you want to do, and he's able to get through that. And, yeah, he's not going to be a contender for oval wins, but I think he'll be more in the mix next year with more time in the car. And, again, another guy. We have a lot of t- very young, talented drivers in the series, and he's another one to add to that mix. Oh, he is, and I think he can develop on the on the ovals. Just give him a couple years, finish at a top twenty at Indy, and as you mentioned, you just want to finish and get the maximum amount of laps at the five hundred, definitely. So, I expect big things for Christian Lingard. Maybe not a win, but I think he finishes in the top ten in points next year. I really do. I'm going to go with top twelve just to give myself some some leeway here for an early 2023 season prediction. Okay, we'll allow it. (laughs) What what do you have for number two? Well, let's talk Alex Pillow, and let's talk first about on-track dominance. And I know a lot of the discussion was about Joseph Newgarden's ride, but if you told me to pick with the more impressive performance on Sunday, Joseph Newgarden or Alex Pillow, I'm going Alex Pillow. He drove away from the field, make it look effortless and easy. He beat Joseph Newgarden by 30 seconds to the line to win the race. It was an absolute domination of a performance by Alex Pillow. He was, you know, to the point where they were barely even showing him in the second half of the race. He was so far gone, and there was so much intrigue elsewhere on the track that they hardly ever gave Alex Pillow some attention. I mean, I thought it was a, a masterful drive by a guy that we thought was. Uh, having his swan song with Chip Ganassi racing on Sunday, little did we know what was about to be announced. Yeah, they they announced what it, it was that yesterday morning. I'm behind. Uh, I think yeah, yesterday morning. But he had kind of hinted at it over the weekend. You know, talking about maybe uncertain, and I think maybe Zach Brown was the more indicative. And I, th- I don't know if he was talking to Marshall Pruitt, but basically said how much they really, really like Felix Rosenquist and wasn't sure about next year's plans yet or any clarity with Alex Pillow. That maybe had been the first kind of hint that that maybe Pillow was staying and. Ganassi and, and Pillow had had some dialogue after the longest time of, of not talking, and Pillow said all the right things over the weekend at Laguna Seca. So it all added up to, I texted you before the announcement came out, you know, I think coming out of Sunday was, I feel like he's going to be back at CGR, right? And Yeah, the, that was kind of the word in the paddock around the, that weekend, which was just a complete 180 from what we were expecting, just due to... Everything out there, I think Jenna Fryer tweeted that the asking price for the buyout was like $10 million and that was half of what it was before, for example. I mean, Yeah, stuff, nobody, stuff, nobody was going to pay that, Stuff right? changed, yes. Even McLaren, who loves to throw money around. And look, it, as we get into this aspect, since we're talking about Pelot, it's just for next year in the 10 car. Only 2023 he gets to keep his McLaren testing program. In fact, he did the TPC, McLaren TPC testing of a previous car program uh, with Pato Award, with McLaren, and Barcelona at, at Circuit de Catalunya earlier this week, uh, so as we record Thursday night here in the States, but he, he gets to keep that opportunity, and everyone is saying, look, Palo is still a one-year rental with Ganassi, and then he'll be at Aero McLaren SP in 2024. Hey, I'm not 
counting out any possible scenario. This time last year, we're talking about Alex Pillow being the series champion, and he's going to be the new face of Chip Ganassi Racing for the next 10 years. And fast forward to right now, and we're shocked that he's staying at CGR. So I wouldn't be surprised if they somehow work out a long-term deal at CGR. I really, I really don't. Anything's possible at this point. But I think I could, one thing is plain. If you are a driver that can win races and win championships, and Alex Pillow has proven both, a team is going to put up with a lot of crap to hang on to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, if you win, be, it's worth it. It's worth Yeah. If you win, people are going to fight for you. Look, I hope Alex Pillow fired every single one of his handlers, his people that put him in this situation and this mess. But I'm saying. The guy's a, a series champion. He's a race winner. He's a consistent contender. Finished tied for for fourth with Scott McLaughlin in the standings. Of course, McLaughlin gets the nod for fourth with race wins. But if he's not a race winner or race cha- and a series champion, he's not getting the benefit of the doubt with CGR. Now, you could also say he's not getting offered multi-millions of dollars from McLaren either, but that's a different cons- discussion. Yes, and I... I know. I still expect him to be gone after this I, next All season. I'm saying is I, I don't know what to predict in the world of motorsport <laughs> anymore. I really don't. Especially what we've seen with, what, Pelot, Piastri, and so on and so forth recently. I They're mean, it's just, just been a wild the summer. situation right now. Yeah. Like, you know, who, who the hell knows what's going to happen? <laughs> all right, what's your number three? Number three, looking at this, okay, it, it was quiet and probably not the weekend they would have wanted, but... Andretti Autosport, three cars in the top 10. I don't know how many times, well, top 11, heard it in 11th, but I don't know how many times they'd actually had results that solid this year. And I I have to say that Grosjean, on a track that you expect him to do well at, well, he did well at, qualified fast six, finished seventh. Rossi, final race uh, with Andretti. Finish in 10th, had a, a good start, but then dropped like a rock after a couple of laps after moving up to second. And then Herta never really a factor as he didn't qualify well, but he did move up through the field. If that's the last we saw of that trio on the same team, it was at least a decent day and better than many of the days we saw this year. It was, but also kind of a microcosm of the entire season. It was a disappointing, you know, Rossi starting towards the front and then fades and barely gets a top 10. Yeah, he got that win, but it doesn't mean anything now for Andretti Autosport. Herta moves on to, you know, a single win at the GP, but just a disappointing final seven races did not finish on the podium over the final seven races, just one top five, and that was at Nashville. And then Roman Grosjean, we expected more, right? Just a single podium over the course of this season. We expected year one with Andretti Autosport to win a race, win a race, or even maybe compete for two race wins. Who knows? But, you know, outside of Long Beach, he really wasn't up there in the conversation late in races, but, uh, you know, overall, a disappointing year for Andretti Autosport. They just got to figure some stuff out because next year they're heading into that season not just with uh, with no series champions on, on the roster, but just one guy that has ever won an IndyCar race in Colton Herta. And who knows if he's coming back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not definite right now. We feel like he is, but we also felt like Alex Pillow was as good as gone from CGR. So what do we know?
That's true. And also no Indy 500 winners in the lineup because they don't have a series champion currently, but they at least had an Indy 500 winner in Alexander Rossi. So he moves on. Kyle Kirkwood slots in. We shall see, but at least a bit of a rebound weekend, I think, for them after what we saw you know, for much of the season to, to at least have three cars in the upper half of the field. It's some decent momentum for for Andretti Autosport, but maybe that tells says it all right there on that's where we're judging Andretti Autosport, barely having one car, two cars in the top ten. All right, what's your third? My number three, and I, you know, he he finished last in the in the uh, race, but Callum Eilat placing it on the front row in terms of qualifying, he was in the conversation in the top five for most of the race until he went out with a mechanical on lap 38. It, it was another impressive performance by Eilat, an impressive performance by Hunkos Hollinger. We get news coming in to the weekend that Hunkos Hollinger will add a second car to next year, so that's great. The performance wasn't always indicative, or the final placing, I guess, wasn't always indicative of the performance that Callum Eilat and that team put in. Finished 20th in points, firmly in 20th, well behind Takuma Sato. But a lot to like in year one of that organization running a full schedule. Just, you know, a lot of steady performances from Callum Eilat and maximized his performance when he could. I mean, he didn't finish last last Sunday because of anything he did. It was merely a mechanical, and you know he was well on his way to a top-five finish. And unfortunately for him, though, his hope for having Felix Rosenquist as a teammate next year... Dashed. Yeah, that, that went up in smoke for him because Felix Rosenquist returning to Aaron McLaren SP for next year. Again, none of these have said multi-year deals, just to reiterate that. It's just a next-year thing, but Felix definitely drove himself back into that seat as he finished eighth in points right behind his teammate Pato Ward, who finished in seventh. Very good performance by Callum Eilat and that team all the way around. Now, here's a quiz question for you. Who, which driver with a win in 2022 finished the lowest in points? I'm going to go with Herta. Correct. Colton Herta in 10th. Ninth was Alexander Rossi. Yeah. Who also had one win. So... I thought that was uh, an interesting question. Uh, when you go through the top ten, you know, Felix didn't have a win. He's in there. Um, and the, I think the only guy in the top ten that didn't have a win was Felix. So That's correct. Uh, very impressive. You know, I know there's a lot of debate on, on points scoring and all that. I don't have any great problem with the scoring of points. I think consistency is the name of the game across the season. And I think Will Power was a worthy winner. Yeah, and it's not. let's not pretend that we haven't seen this in years past. I know it's probably been a while, but I can think of many years where Michael Andretti you know, ripped off four, five, six wins, didn't win the, the series title because he didn't have that consistency down. And New Garden, yeah, he ripped off, what, five wins on the year? But again, lacked that consistency. When you have multiple finishes outside the top 15, I mean, that, that makes it hard – to, to be a series champion. You have to withstand those, and he just had too many races like that. And and look, you have more than two or three races where you're outside the top ten, you're probably not going to be the champion. As crazy as that sounds, but that's how it plays out. There's too much competition out there to, to really have bad days. There's too much at Penske, too much at Ganassi that's going to make you pay for those. And, you know, unfortunately, Joseph Newgarden loses out to a teammate because 
not always his fault, but just a couple bad performances all it took. That is all it took. And again, we'll power your champion here for 2022. All right. Wraps up our three things on Laguna Seca. Some other notes from the race week, and I teased this earlier, but so going into this weekend, Justin, uh-huh. 20 of the 24 winners at Laguna Seca in, in IndyCar competition had started on the front row. But the last two years, they started outside the top 10. This is from mm. IndyCar 1909 in 2021. Colton Herta won. Okay, so this is actually slightly modified, so apologize. But as far as season finales go, in 2021, Colton Herta won Long Beach from 14th. Pelot won Laguna Seca from 11th. First time since 1956, the consecutive season finales have been won from outside 10th starting spot. That's some deep, deep research yes. there. I like it. Yes, it is. I thought that was interesting, and especially at a place like Laguna Seca where we all think, well, it's if you're not starting on the front row, you're not going to win. Alex Pelot proved us wrong and in a big way on Sunday. Drove away from everybody else. Like I said, as, as impressive as Joseph Newgarden was, I felt Alex Pillow was more so. This from Marshall Pruitt. Record set for its last three races at Laguna Seca. 361 on-track passes, 286 for position, 26 passes in the top five, 81 in the top 10. This uh, Sometimes you can have a race where a guy drives away from the field, but it's very entertaining. In others, it feels like a snoozer. This was definitely the entertaining variety for me. I felt like it was it was pretty solid. You told me, you know, as I started the race, that the race for the front necessarily lacked some excitement, but everywhere else in the field there was some entertainment. I felt like it was a, a very solid finish to the season. Wasn't it exactly the snoozer we expected, as we always do, at Laguna Seca? And again, we, we briefly mentioned it, I think, but Honda with that engine change for Pelot, that... Yes, the grid penalty, but that clearly worked out in his favor. Yeah, it did. Sometimes uh, those things have a tendency to to turn out well, so it was definitely a blessing in disguise. Some other notes from the weekend, and we'll get to silly season stuff in a bit here. Husky chocolate spotted at the track. A lot of media members posting pictures with a bottle of Husky chocolate, so it it exists. And it's coming to America. Yes. We need to get some. We do. Absolutely. If someone has access, so send like, it to us, please. It's like chocolate milk? Yes. I so it's not think. like DeBrand's chocolate? No. Oh, okay. Well, no, it's so Husky Chocolate, they are like commercial for like ski resorts, for example, where they have huge bags of hot chocolate, like ready mix, essentially. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And then they can serve that at ski resorts. That's kind of huh. my understanding is like their clientele. So it's like Nestle's Quick. Yes. Okay. I think more like that. It's the Nestle's Quick of Europe. Yes. Uh, okay. I, I guess. Of I, I'm not sure. All right. Linus Lundquist, Indy Lights champion. Not a surprise, but official from over the weekend. So congrats to him. And we'll see if he can move up into IndyCar. That gets into all the silly season silliness that we have going on is the fact that, well, the Lights champ may not even have an IndyCar ride for next year. Well, we shall see. Hopefully that's not the case. You know, Marshall Pruitt kind of hinted that there could be some full-time opportunities to arise with Linus Lundquist. Are you ready to talk about TV ratings? <laughs> you don't sound too excited. Well, it's it's not great. It's it's not great. Five hundred seven thousand viewers. That is not ideal. 
as they would say. And look, there's some spin on it after the fact because IndyCar was up, you know, what, 5% or something in their most watched season. It was 4.7%. Yeah. We went into this thinking double digits, right? Was the minimum. Like yes. with all of the what, 13 races on network, you were hoping for at least a 10% jump in ratings. So it last year- You couldn't even get half that. No. Last year, Laguna Seca also on NBC, but later on when it comes to the NFL season. So again, 0. 0.32, 507,000 viewers for this year's Laguna Seca race on NBC. Last year, 0. 0.44, 715,000. That was against week three of the NFL season. That helps a little bit. I mean, opening weekend is just get yeah. out the way. Yes. Now, up from last year's season finale, because it was on NBCSN, rest in peace, that was at Long Beach, <laughs> got 368,000 viewers. So up, still the highest viewership to date for IndyCar on NBC, most watched season since 2016. NBC's most watched on record. Again, you mentioned 5%. 2022 season total audience delivery, which includes streaming 1.30 million viewers across NBC, USA Network, Peacock, NBC Sports Digital Platforms. It's up from 1.24 million last year. Um, half the season's 16 races delivered a total audience delivery of more than 1 million viewers. Highest mark since 2008. Season opener, most watched season opener in 11 years. And most watched non Indy 500 IndyCar race in 11 years. And then Long Beach is the most watched edition of that total audience delivery of 1.08 million viewers, as far as on NBC, because that was always buried on NBCSN in the past. Look, I get that up is up and they're touting it, but it's disappointing that we're only talking about what, 5%? Not even. And, and you look at more races on network because they had five more races. On network, compared to last year, just a 5% increase. Streaming audience, 50,400 on average, 218,800 for the Indy 500. But again, you would you would expect more. It's just disappointing that that's the number. It was very disappointing. I mean, we used to say on this podcast, up, up is up. up. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, up is up, but you expected more up than... And goes goes back to your theory, though, about Indy 500 ratings. If you you have a captivating race there, you can get people to kind of hang on a little longer. We saw that last year. And while they had more races on NBC this year, that was, I I feel like, the only way that that went up. Because it was the same number. Obviously, I think it'd be down. I mean, here's the thing with the 507,000 that watched. If you are a major sports entity or a major motorsports entity in in this respect and you barely draw 500,000 people on on TV for your season finale race on network I don't care what it's going up against that's pathetic and there's and, no way to spin it and it doesn't help that the indie market which would have turned away from the Colts, and then the Colts came back late in the game, and it goes to overtime, basically right at the same time as the IndyCar race starting with the green flag about 3.30, and the Colts rallying late. You know, people who would maybe flip over to the IndyCar race if the Colts were struggling or the game was over, right, 
are, are locked back in with the Colts. And I get that it's not all about the indie market, but that's your primary market. And so you need good ratings from that market. And I don't know about the uh, the final rating from the indie market as far as for IndyCar on Sunday. But that factors in because, look, when you're talking about these sample sizes, we're talking about like one or two people reporting that they watch this for Nielsen that makes thousands of viewership yeah, 30,000, you know? Yeah. yeah. Judging the season by a whole and looking towards next year, I will be very surprised if IndyCar has 13 network races next year. I don't... We've mentioned this before, too, Caleb. What was the, the expected return for NBC Sports by airing all these races on network? I don't know. Is, they at least touted, though, that it was up. Right. That's positive. I mean, is it 3% growth? Was it 5% growth? Was it 10% growth? Was it at least they're not losing? I mean, I, I don't know what the benchmark was for NBC Sports, but for you and me... It's a disappointment only being up 4.7%. And if that pleases NBC Sports, then great. But brace yourself, because if it's not, you're not going to have 13 races on network. You may be watching more than one race on Peacock. God forbid. I can't imagine people writing into the mailbag for that one. Um, Maybe more races on USA. Maybe you're switching. Look, I've said it before. If you have simultaneous races going on with IndyCar and Cup, IndyCar should never be on network, in my opinion. If you're smart at NBC Sports, you should put the more in-demand product on your network. And maybe we see more of that. NBC Sports saying, yeah, we're, we're putting the more popular product on the network. You're going to USA. So At least USA is in more homes than NBCSN was. Yeah. So, you know. 507,000 people turned into your season finale race, folks, and you wonder why you can't get OEMs to buy into this series, why it's still searching for sponsorships as well. Look, it's in a better spot than it was. We're not saying it's not, but these are the things that hold you back from reaching the heights that we'd all like to see, is lack of eyes on product. Let's also not forget that I I feel like IndyCar can get in its own way as far as IndyCar fans because they're very diehard, they're very loyal but then if IndyCar were to get suddenly mainstream popular like F1's going through right now, would IndyCar fans handle that well? I don't think so. <laughs> no. I'm just being honest with myself. They would be upset about... And for our audience. Yeah, they would be upset about the purity of the sport going away because they're doing this, that, and the other to appease the new fans. Totally. Totally. I mean... At some point when you're IndyCar, you need to take a big swing at something, whether it's an exotic new car that is you know, very fast and very light. If it's a special event, when you look at, uh, at Cup trying things, you know, whether it's the Clash, whether it's dirt at Bristol. North Wilkesboro. North Wilkesboro, street race in Chicago. It's taking a swing and trying something. And, you know, Nashville is a couple years old, but that's kind of the last time we kind of got excited, right? A little bit yeah. about an event or about anything. I mean, we're still sitting, everybody you ask in the paddock, on the record or off the record, saying this car is too heavy, it's too slow, it's not exciting, and you're trying to sell something that the people in your paddock, the drivers driving these cars, the teams fielding these cars, are saying are not exciting. So how are you going to get people to buy into the sport when the people in the sport are complaining about how slow and heavy the the car is? 
This actually dovetails perfectly into this topic. Zach Brown, IndyCar needs faster cars and East Coast expansion. I think we fully agree with faster cars. Got to reduce the weight, make them faster, make them, uh, you know, upgrade the cars. As far as East Coast, yes, I agree with him, but he was looking specifically at street races. Yeah, in the Northeast, really. New York, Philly, Jersey, Massachusetts. He said he'd want to go back to Meadowlands, but with a different layout. Yeah, I think we all would be (laughs) wanting a different layout. And talking about doing a race around either a convention center or stadium. Look, they've, they've done that in the past. Baltimore was an example of doing that, right? It didn't last because the promoter went broke. Well, and look, there are hey, issues with the train tracks on the course. Yeah, I mean, look, if McLaren wants to step up with some of its sponsors and be the financial backer of a street course, great. But, you know, it's a very tough sell for a city to commit to a street race. I mean, you're offsetting traffic for a good, what, month, probably? Yeah. You have to figure out the logistics. You have to buy all the fencing and the the blockades and all that stuff. I mean, it's not an easy endeavor. As a guy that that covered city council in a mid-level city in Fort Wayne for a couple years, they bicker about every little thing. And then magnify that by 100 in terms of a big city and a big event downtown. It's just so much red tape. Um, So... Easier said than done. Zach Brown, he, his his heart's in the right place, but IndyCar is not Formula One. They don't have cities and tracks, you know, calling them up en masse trying to land races in this series. So I like where his head's at. I'd love to see it, but he's definitely on point with the heavier cars need to go. I mean, they need a new car. Faster cars, East Coast. Yeah, IndyCar is underserved on the East Coast. I'm not so sure about adding a, a street race unless there's someone interested but there are tracks Pocono I get that's controversial Pocono Richmond you know that was on the schedule and then the pandemic happened uh Watkins Glen which they've gone to from time to time these are some of the tracks that would be an option and we'll see other things Zach Brown said as far as he wasn't a fan of international races he did say Mexico yes obviously but staying in North America and I think that's key I think Ideally, you have a 20-race schedule where you have you know, 16 U.S.-based races, two or three in Canada, and then the other one or two in Mexico. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the perfect schedule, right? But you, you got to figure out, you know, I'd love to be able to get to 20 and say 20 and 20 steady races and all that, but um, it's difficult right now to hold on to 17, that's for sure. Okay, silly season stuff. We mentioned Alex Pillow staying in the 10 car with Ganassi for 2023. Felix Rosenquist staying in the, wow, I'm drawing a blank, 7 car in 2023 with Aaron McLaren SP teaming up with Pato Award again. And then also Alexander Rossi in that third car. Some other things that we got out of the weekend. We expect Jimmy Johnson to at least be back in IndyCar in some capacity. We don't know exactly what that will be i feel like it's ovals only right now. i feel like it's reduced because that 24 hours of Lamont nascar garage 56 project there's a cup series race at sonoma the same weekend so i would think jimmy mm. will be part of that right obviously and i think that means that jimmy will do a limited schedule i haven't looked up the the exact weekend that is one we don't have the indycar schedule so it's not like we could compare we could guess based on when tracks will fall but 
Jimmy Johnson says Carvana is back, and I've seen mixed things. I've seen some things say that he could be doing all the races, full season in IndyCar. I've seen reports say that, or Carvana's back for what that whatever Jimmy wants to do. I'm fine with Jimmy being back. Like I, you know, I joke around and. And I even sent you the, you know, he brought out a red flag in the gravel at uh, Laguna Seca. But I think he's good for the sport. Uh, Bringing Carvana along, the activation they utilize is second to none in IndyCar right now and is the best that I've seen in a long time in the sport. Uh, He has all great things to say. He's still, you can say it's unfair, but one of the faces of IndyCar. That's facts. So the longer that Jimmy Johnson is around, the better, I think, for the sport. I, I know we all moan and groan about his performance or lack thereof at road and street courses, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's been in any way bad for the sport. No, absolutely not. Jennifer Fryer tweeting, uh, Jimmy said last week, and again, this was last week, so technically two weeks ago, he was targeting a full IndyCar schedule. Carvana will back whatever he chooses. I've seen other stuff that says more like he could pick and choose what he wants to do. We shall see. Also, Henry Malukas says David Malukas will be back with Coin and HMD in 2023. So that clarifies that, which I think how Silly Season has played out with those other seats, I think that's a given, right? I don't think he's going Sure, anywhere. I agree. Obviously, there, there aren't open seats, and unless Herta goes to F1, opening up a seat in Andretti, I don't think there's an option, and who knows who they would get in that scenario. As far as the ladder series, F1 uh, feeder series Americas, says we could have 20 cars and lights next year. Growth of HMD, Andretti, Able and Force Indy, Cape Motorsports, and Legacy coming in. Plan return of Hunkos. So I wasn't sure on that as far as Hunkos, but they're planning to be back in lights next year, so that factors into it as well. Then we get to uh, another Indy Lights announcement. Josh Green, friend of the show. He'll be Very with HMD so. in Lights next yeah, year. Yeah, we'll have to have him on. Absolutely. So that's pretty exciting stuff. Glad he was able to make the move up. And again, we're, we're seeing this more and more uh, of guys moving up quicker up the ladder. Now, he didn't do this because he raced in Indy Pro 2000 just for this one season, right? But... We've seen guys like Jagger Jones go from USF 2000 to lights, and that seems to be more common than you would think. But uh, good to see Josh Green moving up to lights for next year. Continuing on with Silly Season stuff, Kyle Busch announced to Richard Childress Racing in NASCAR as far as the Indy 500 goes. That's in the deal if he wants to run the Indy 500. Chevy teams call me, he smiled and said. His family's okay with it. That piece wasn't a priority in any negotiations. So it's something to keep in mind. I don't know what becomes of that. Well, you had uh, a tip from IndyCar Deep Throat regarding that, correct? Yes, IndyCar Deep Throat saying that 2024, fourth car with McLaren, and a lot of people speculating that, and Nathan Brown of the Indy Star saying Zach Brown, head of Aaron McLaren SP, on Sunday, we haven't decided if we'd run a fourth car in the Indy 500 long-term as in full-time. I don't think so, but we haven't ruled that out. So something to keep in mind as far as the, the future there. Look, I mean, Zach Brown wants to make a splash at any time. We've seen it in his uh, tactics and trying to get other talent in IndyCar to jump. 
having an, another car run for Kyle Busch is right up McLaren's alley and Zach Brown's alley. If I had to give you a leader in the clubhouse to make that happen, Chevy team, McLaren, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I would agree, and that's the splash. You don't think he's going to be with Penske, but source telling IndyCar Deep Throat, Zach and Richard is in Zach Brown Richard Childress will make an agreement for 2024 for the Indy 500 saying do not see it happening with Penske which again I I wouldn't either no. to be honest. Uh makes me wonder if he would do the double or just sit out the Coke 600. I mean how's that work in cup? Do you have to race let's say you get a win, do you have to race in every race to well, qualify for it's, the It's it's different. Playoffs. If you get a race win, you automatically qualify. Yeah, I know, but do you have to run like a minimum amount Probably, of races? I would think. Or I can't imagine the rule is you have to run every race, but I don't know. Maybe it is. Not sure. Other notes. In fact, I think that wraps up the silly season portion, right? I mean, Colton Herta is set to maybe do a test with Alpine still... next week at Hungara Ring. We're still waiting on the super license ruling. Plus, IndyCar Deep Throat saying that Haas is also interested in Herta. Very interested, so that's another team to keep in mind. That's what half the half the paddock. It feels. Like. I mean, it's three teams. Yeah. Obviously, AlphaTauri, Al- Alpine, and Haas. I mean, all indications were last week that the FIA was going to say no, but we still don't have a ruling. So, if that was the decision, why isn't it being announced yet? So, uh, you know, until that's official, we're left wondering. And it doesn't seem like we'll get an answer. We were told, what, by the end of the month? But at some point, if he's going to run an F1, he's going to have to start running FP1s to get the super license points because you don't get any for a test. And I I have to think that the answer is going to come out between now and Singapore in two weeks. Yes. So this is right around the time they're gonna they're gonna announce this thing. If it was indeed by the end of the month, the Singapore GP, you know, FP1 is on the thirtieth. Then we get to the schedule stuff. So the IndyCar schedule should be released in the next one to two weeks, that according to Marshall Pruitt on the mailbag, racer.com. But we have some clarity. The NASCAR IndyCar triple header returns to the IMS road course in 2023, August 11th through 13th. So one would assume that the IndyCar race would be August 12th because it's usually a Friday, Saturday, Sunday weekend, so they'll run on the road course. Then Texas Motor Speedway is back multi-year agreement. Yeah, buddy. That is the key. IndyCar will pair up with trucks again like they used to. It'll be April 1st and 2nd for IndyCar. I haven't looked. Is that is that a Saturday, Sunday, or a... What is the date? April 1st and 2nd. April 1st and 2nd of 2023. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, it looks like a Saturday, Sunday. It- it does Saturday Sunday, so put you know IndyCar back on Sunday. Positive of that though, that would mean IndyCar would not be competing against March Madness because wouldn't the final four be the Saturday and Monday? I don't know. I thought it was the second week of weekend now with Final Four. I'm not sure. I don't know because usually they're competing against the NCAA tournament with that race so yes april 1st and 3rd so that's that's a positive and it is ironically in houston so not too far away Ooh. <laughs> you love houston <laughs> i like houston i'm just saying i you know 
a lot of fans are going to be going to the Final Four, that's for sure. True, but at least they're not directly competing. And then also, Milwaukee Mile is back. Hey, well, not on the IndyCar schedule. Yeah, sorry. not yet. Sorry, not on the IndyCar schedule. Could, I wanted to get your hopes God, People, you know, relax, but could this be the first step, potentially? It could be. It could be. The NASCAR... I was going to say Camping World, but the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. It's back, the Craftsman back. Truck Series. They will be back at the Milwaukee Mile as part of the schedule next year. Also, trucks back at uh, Raceway Park in Indy in 2023 as well. So all that to say, this is good. IndyCar has their pre-Indy 500 oval. They keep Texas on the schedule. And at least a... a major series is returning to the mile to try things out and hopefully that could be something that returns to the schedule so we shall see and remind me was it hinted that they would have a test as well at texas so the testing schedule is released i'm glad that you brought that up hey thanks so spring training will return a venue that awaits confirmation february 2nd and 3rd i'm gonna throw this out there how about Laguna, or not Laguna Seca, sorry. How about Homestead? Yes. That could be a possibility. I mean, we threw it out there. I don't know what kind of condition the road course is in for IndyCars, but, you know, you could configure it one day with the oval, one day with the yes. road course. So they'll have the IMS test April 20th and 21st, and then Laguna Seca September 7th. you got to remember there's a new track service, so that'll be right before that weekend, same time slot as it was this year as far as the race weekend at Laguna Seca, but they'll have the test for the new track service. So that that plays into it. So that's a look at the testing schedule. And, and again, I'm guessing Homestead. In fact, IndyCar Deep Throat, who's been throwing Homestead around for a while, and I'm like, okay, is this really going to happen? I mean, I hope it does. But Homestead, again, a- another mention as far as the schedule goes in the future. On the downside, Deep Throat saying next year could be it for Gateway. That's just simply because of NASCAR having their success. That'd be incredibly devastating to IndyCar. It would be. You know, I, I could I could feel Robin Miller rolling around in his grave because of all the, the hype he put into, into Gateway, and this is how you do it, this is how you promote it, and this is how you make an oval successful. Could it be gone? That would be mind-boggling. Also, IndyCar Deep Throat saying that they're still trying for Homestead. Also... Talk from team owners at Laguna Seca weekend uh, to Roger Penske that the season might be pushed into October next year. I know you're against that. Y- you are too. Um, I am for it if they time it out perfectly. It has to be a West Coast race. Green flag to me has to be after the early slate of NFL games, so 4 p.m. Eastern or a Saturday night race on an oval. Uh, you know, I would prefer Fontana. You know, at 4 p.m. On a Sunday. Leading into Sunday Night Football. Yes. That would be great. Like a 500-mile race le- leading into, what is it, Football Night in America? Football Night in America? Seven. Yeah. But then, then they, they but they have local news, right? So I don't, not, I don't, you know, I don't know if you not can particularly. Get away from Sometimes, that. you know, somebody don't have local. I mean, you know, 15, you know, I'm going to say 15 because it's local. CBS and, and Fox don't have local news necessarily. Um, at, if you have the four of twenty-five game, you're not That's running true. news. Like CBS goes right into sixty minutes and stuff. They don't run That's news. That's true. So that's what I would shoot for. But you know, I know people are going to groan out there at this comment. You know, why are you hosting a podcast and talking so much about it? 
once football starts, I have so much going on. I only have a limited amount of time to sit my butt in front of the TV. And this time of year, football is priority for me. Well, and you're not just talking watching NFL like we're talking like your job. Too. You have to talk like the <laughs> yeah. job. To, to and, be clear. You know, and, you know, it's early in the season, so I have not soured yet on the Chicago Bears. So I'm still watching the Chicago Bears every Sunday. I'm coming off a day on Saturday of watching college football as much as possible. And then it, Friday, actually working, covering yeah, high school working, football games. Yeah, working, you know. And now, you know, you and I talking in the mornings for two hours on the radio about all things sports. That includes heavy football. It's it's And that didn't even factor in the fact that I have a family at home and expecting a kid in the next couple months and and dealing with all that and a 12-year-old and a wife. and It's a lot, folks. And in the summer, in the spring, don't care about the NBA. The Reds are terrible, so I I lose interest in baseball. IndyCar's it. But once you get into the fall with everything else going on, it's tough to prioritize IndyCar. And I'm one of those guys that loves, loves, loves the fact that IndyCar is out the way by the time you get into week two, week three, week four of the NFL season. Start the start the season earlier. I'm all for it. But, man, into October, that's tough. I mean, if you wrap up Labor Day weekend, I'm fine with that if you're starting in mid to late February. Yeah. The week after Daytona should be the first race in a perfect world. I would agree with that. I Look, I'd love for them to run into October, but I mentioned those specific conditions – and that's just simply not going to work out in my favor. I'm not dumb. Like, I know how specific that is. It's just not realistic. I mean, the NFL is such a powerhouse, whether it becomes people going to the games or watching the games. I mean, you know, you, you were giving it to me you know, yesterday about the records that were set with Monday night football and Sunday night football and the viewership. It's just, it is king. Football is king, folks. And... You know, we talked about that that terrible number for the season finale. You know, I will. You know, part of it is football starting. You know, and and being week one in particular, and everybody's optimistic about their team. It's just the intelligent play is to get out of the way of football in North America. That's or in the United States. That that's it. American football, yes. Get American out of the football, way. Yes. Labor Day weekend is probably yeah. going to get you a better TV rating. One other note on the schedule: Adam Stern. IndyCar working on shifting more of its schedule into the spring and future seasons to have a more regular rhythm of events once we start in St. Pete. That's from Mark Miles. As far as new markets to take an IndyCar race, Miles mentioned Denver is one he's interested in. That'd be interesting. Mike's Peak Raceway. Hey, yeah, uh, they can't race there. Aw. <laughs> that's what a, about, that's a deal uh, with NASCAR ISC, I believe. Aw. Gone too soon. I mean, I, I've been to Denver. I've been to north of Denver around, you know, Greeley and colorado springs and there's there's a there's a lot of straight line roads there yes there are with plenty of views of cattle farms (laughs) but no that would probably be obviously in 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 denver proper which we've had a street race there before correct so we shall see but that's a look at all of the schedule stuff uh that came out over the last few days as well if you would like more of the podcast or if you agree or disagree with What we have to say, we'd like for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list so you never miss an episode or any special announcements. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is IndyCarPodcast. On Facebook, search for us, like us. It's NewTrackRecord. On Instagram, it's also IndyCarPodcast as well. You can email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. 
You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash new track record. Thanks to Xavier, Rob, and others who are patrons. Again, this all starts with just as little as $1 per month. And you can always, always follow us for free on your favorite podcasting platform. There's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever you find your podcasts, as always, all for free. Mailbag time, Justin. And we'll start with Rate the Race because I think that's always the good starting point. How would you rate the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey? Six and a half. I'm going to go seven. I thought, yeah. it was a, I thought it was a solid race. I, I really did. I, I thought, yes, it was dominant up front, but plenty of intrigue behind there. I and mean, the championship contenders, unlike last year, remember when Pato Award got knocked out early yeah. with contact? I mean, the, there was legit intrigue through the end of the race. I mean, but was there? I mean, I didn't, I never felt like, other than when Grosjean was behind him, that Will Power was in any danger to finish mm-hmm. off the podium. And. Unless something catastrophic happened to him, Joseph Newgarden and Scott Dixon had no chance, regardless of where they finished. So now I, I I didn't see the intrigue that other people saw because for the race win, Pelot was gone, and for the series championship, Will Power did more than enough to win. And and so while it was a great drive for for Joseph Newgarden, I said it before, the fact was he couldn't win unless Will Power had something happen. And his best shot was when Roman Grosjean was around, but nothing happened. This from Zach underscore Dowdell. 12 out of 10, but with Australian flag emojis, he's an Aussie, so that would be why. I'm sure he's on cloud nine, yes. (laughs) Hunter's way 67, 7.5. Below running away and hiding kind of sucked, but as per IndyCar, there was plenty going on behind him, particularly as the laps wound down. Being there was a blast. Laguna Sega is a fantastic track, and watching from the corkscrew is incredible. Our boots on the ground this weekend. Yeah, he, he had some pretty cool pictures that he yeah, posted he as well that I saw from Facebook. Jeremy from HBG. Racing got a six, drama an eight. Add 20 points for Chip Ganassi lurking the post-race interview. Like an <laughs> overstuffed uh, Baylet Lugosi. That's pretty funny. Um, continuing on, P. Gaynor, 14. Give it a nine. Felt like a heavyweight championship fight. Top 10, really meaty with all race winners. And rookie of the year, great race. Zaxi 8771. I'll give it a seven. Good passing. Wasn't boring. Wasn't as much intrigue as there might have seemed. Happy for power, but his championship never seemed particularly in jeopardy. So always worth a watch of this track. Hope the repave doesn't ruin it. Yeah, I don't know what to expect with the repave. I I I mean, it'll make it faster, right? Because there's more grip, but does that also mean that the tires don't fall off as fast and it's harder to pass? I don't know. I really don't. I'm not an expert. I feel like uh, if if it makes him faster, that means Alex Pillow will just win by a minute next year. <laughs> Quite possibly. Vicky Lynn, 26, gave it a 9.5. Will wins the championship. Joseph's passes in the corkscrew, charging to second-place finish. Pillow in a class by himself, despite everything going on. Only thing was the yellow and the still inconsistent timing. I get it, but they need to make a decision and stick to it. You, I don't know you, how you we didn't get to it. it. I was very annoyed. I tweeted my thoughts. I, I saw stuff back and forth as far as local yellows and full course yellows. Someone responded to the tweet I had talking about it saying, I, I essentially said, look, if you're going to claim to ha- say safety is paramount, you can't delay. And I guess they said local yellow on the radio and then eventually went full course. 
But when you have a car stopped in that position, as Callum Eilat was, I don't see how you can't immediately go full course caution. He was right at the exit of pit lane. Yeah. And, yeah. and coming around a, a corner on track. It, it seemed so, very unsafe. I'm, you know, I've said it before. They're going to continue to do this, you know, fair play, make sure everybody gets to pit in some, unless, until something devastating happens. And as we've mentioned, why do you have to close the pits? You could go full course caution, but have people maintain pit, pit lane speed, right, on pit lane, and then you exit. And I get it's tough with the transponders and figuring out, you know, the, the order. They already have issues with that now, right? So it's nothing new. Yeah, I, I just uh, I I've come to expect it at this point, and it's going to be par for the course until something bad happens. Bill Hessa says, "All things considered, I'm going ten. Wow, Dang. race had a story, it had drama, it had passing, bumping. Kudos to NBC booth. Thought they did a good job keeping it exciting. Thought it was very enjoyable. I thought it was a good race. I don't know if I'd give it a ten, but hey, hey to each his own. If you liked right. it, great. That's great." Poet Shevchenko, on principle, it's got to be a one because of race control endangering one of the drivers again. The racing itself would probably be a six and a half. Didn't feel like it had as much action as Portland in spite of drivers hanging loose. Maybe the repave will actually improve next year's race. We shall see. Hunter J. Smith, 03, eight and a half broadcast, gave it the beans. I hope this race feels as heavy to watch as the Paul Page Air races have when going back to watch them. Maybe. It was similar in the fact that there was a dominant winner. Right. <laughs> it feels pretty common for the, the golden era of cart. We for always sure. forget that. Big D cart says solid eight, competitive, yet not chaotic. Mario passing the torch made the race. Transocean Trojan says eight and a half. About as exciting a race could be when a driver has a 30-second lead up front. Joseph charging through the field and a little bit of championship intrigue. Raised the rating, lots of passing through the field. Everyone crying about the yellow situation, a one, though. Wow. Yeah, you. Yeah, me. Tyler <laughs> underscore Allen gave it a six. Playing spades, six for racing, negative three for willpower championship, four out of ten overall. And then run underscore mark underscore run, six for racing, one for timing. You can't put the season finale during NFL opening week. Yeah, I Correct. We saw that play out in the TV rating. I hate to say it, but yes. You can't do it. All right, comments on Pelot returning to Ganassi. Transition Trojan said, one of the most trivial sagas I've ever seen doesn't even end with him switching teams. <laughs> <laughs> Poet Shevchenko is not going to be able to live this down on the internet for a while. Bill Hessa says, to me, the weirdest angle to this whole silly season is you have three IndyCar drivers talking F1 seats and testing. They got to know that all of them aren't going to F1, right? Right? Yeah, we'll be lucky if one of them does. Or well, unlucky, you know, depending on how you look at the, it. The beauty of it is the revolving seat game at in formula one means you may only have to wait a couple years that's true i mean it's uh they dangle that that's why they have test drivers that's why they have reserve drivers like they dangle that f1 seat like it's you know some coveted gem rare gem you know with only 20 seats i get it but you can get a lot of guys that buy into it that think they have a shot that ended up you know spit out at the end without ever sitting in an F1 seat, let alone riding in an F, you know, driving in an FP1 or starting in a Grand Prix. These replies on Felix Rosenquist returning in K Harden. Wait, did this all just get resolved amicably? We wanted chaos. Yes, we did. I mean, we had amicably, it. maybe, I guess. Probably, maybe, I guess, but 
you know, behind the scenes, who knows what that looks like. Post Shevchenko, we will have Renus VK, Linus Lundquist, Felix Rosenquist, and Christian Lungard all in the same field at once. I really wish we had Paul Tracy back in the TV booth to try and sort <laughs> all that out. That's funny. Oh, man. Love it. That would be, yeah. I, I wonder what nicknames he'd come up with, with <laughs> some of these drivers since obviously he gave us the gift that is Santucci. He did. So that's a look at the mailbag. Um, we had some banter back and forth. Uh, apparently they do have local yellows, but they didn't mention it on the broadcast. I think that's what made it confusing. We weren't aware of that. I'm not sure if there was a real... Oh, I forgot. Third OEM. Toyota out, according to Marshall Pruitt, at least for now. They're not going to move forward. They didn't say no. Well, they didn't say yeah. I mean... But they didn't say yes. It's like your your uh, your girlfriend then you asked to marry her, and she's like, yeah, yeah, ask me some other time. Not right now. Maybe, maybe in a couple years. <laughs> you know, that's, that's essentially what this that's rejection this to me. Out. You yes. need to move on. And I've I, I've touched on it before, Caleb. I just feel like I believe IndyCar should focus now on what do we need to do to entice Honda and Chevy to have more engine leases. Yes. Because that's the only way in the next couple of years you're going to be able to expand the field. And there has to be some sort of incentivization for those two OEMs to basically not lose their ass for every engine lease that they provide. And we're topped out 28 full-time entries, which to me, you shouldn't go higher than that anyway, personally. Right. But I think the and bigger thing is the 36, 36 for, for at the 500. Indy, when you look at it this year, they could have hit 40, I think. Yeah. I, I really do. I really, really do. Because there are a lot of other entries at play. I think definitely they could have hit the what the thirty six number because I can't remember it, what do they have any bumping this year? No, no. But there are a lot of deals because they were teams are being really particular. Yeah. yeah, and I think we easily would have hit thirty six. I think we could have hit forty though because there's just enough interest, which is a good thing. Right, but unfortunately, there's no engines or there's no deals to be had out there at least this past year. I really think that IndyCar would really be benefited by by pivoting and and sitting down with those two OEMs and be like, what do you want from us? What will make you more enticed to invest more in terms of the engine leases? There has to be some, whether IndyCar partially finances every lease. I, I don't know whether it's incentivization and, and rewards for winning constructors championships and stuff like that. I, I, I don't know. But I feel like that is a better play right now than chasing dreams of a, a third OEM and being left at the altar time and time again. And meantime, you have a series that's burgeoning in terms of numbers and interest, and you can't adequately supply that interest. And you have supply and demand, and the demand is there, and the supply isn't. And the only two trusting partners you have right now are Honda and Chevy. So focus on them, see what you can give them, offer them, entice them to make an added investment into the series with more engine leases. And maybe you can't, maybe it's something where like we don't have enough eyes on product to do that. And, you know, okay, that's not. But I feel like conversations are not being had with those two entities. This from Zach C eight seven seven one Peterbilt to IndyCar. Hey, maybe the Freightliners represented. 
Uh, we're running short of uh, of serious contenders, so we may be at Peterbilt here pretty soon. And then this from N.K. Harden. Uh, can we all vow to not discuss a third OEM until a deal is signed? We have all spent so much time talking about absolutely nothing. It's getting laughable at this point. Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, and IndyCar third OEM, all the same. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I Feels mean, I would way. kill for a grainy picture of a third OEM banded engine, badged engine somewhere in a paddock, like we, you know, get the, the grainy fig photos of Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot. I mean, at this point, you know, they're one and the same, so we may as well just get a grainy photo like that at some point. Okay, and then one other thing I want to get to in the mailbag Donovan Martin Jr., congrats to you, the winner of the New Track Record Podcast IndyCar Fantasy hey, Challenge. Congratulations. D underscore Mart 23. Uh, get in touch with us because you get to gloat about it on the podcast. In fact, if you want to come on, let us know. Uh, send us a DM uh, across any of our social channels, and we will get back to you. But we'd love to have you on. He is the winner as he comes home with 2,468.25 points, beating out Micah's Motors, uh, who had 2,394 last year's winner. So uh, a tight battle, but uh, get Larson in the 500, came away with the win, clutch and chill in third, 2,377.75 points in the Fantasy League. Congratulations. Great job. Good work. For you, and I think that wraps up the mailbag. And we're welcoming in a special guest. It is Robert Hess of the Disabled Veterans Empowerment Network. Robert, thanks for coming on. No, thanks for having me. I'm 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 thrilled. Now, Robert, we're going to talk about first off your organization, uh, the Disabled Veterans Empowerment Network, or DVEN. First off, kind of tell us more about what they do for veteran suicide prevention. Yeah, so, um, well, veteran suicide prevention is, is one of our major programs. Organizationally, um, you know, we're, a, we're kind of a central information point uh, for resources for the broader veteran community. Um, so if a veteran is looking for, um, uh, you know, support in housing or how to uh, get their disabled veteran benefits, they can come to our website and we have information to connect them on to um, – uh, the appropriate uh, organizations. But um, veteran suicide prevention is one of our big programs. And uh, I don't know if any of you listeners are uh, American Legion members, but uh, I am. My post is 43 out here in Hollywood. Um, but uh, what we're doing is raising awareness of uh, the new National Suicide Hotline. And uh, people may have heard about that on the news, but it's 988 and uh, they have a special team standing by, you know, to deal with veterans, uh, their unique needs. And it's 988-PRESS-1. And uh, the connection is the American Legion is, you know, if, if anybody is following Chip Ganassi Racing, know that, uh, you know, uh, his cars have been carrying the American Legion livery for the last two years. And so what we're doing in the am amateur basis with our Top Dog Championships is, you know, you could see that as an extension you know, what the American Legion is doing with their Be The One program. Yeah, Robert, I, I know in 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 knowing some some veterans and, and just being in, updated on current events that it is a 
It is an issue in, in suicides, veteran suicides, and it's an issue that, that continues to rise. So this is definitely something that I feel can be can be greatly utilized by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, thanks. And it, it is the statistically the numbers are roughly 18 veterans um, taking their own lives every day. And, you know, that's a it's a pretty shocking number. And um, these programs, um, you know, the American Legion program, our Devon outreach program, is really just to get out to where veterans are and have the, com- you know, have a conversation. And, um, you know, showing people that there are certain signs, you know, that people that have, you know, that may be leading them towards depression that would put them in that kind of vulnerable state. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, this is radio, so you can't see my car, but, uh, you know, my, my, my Boxster and the Miatas that I take to the racetrack, they're all stickered up talking about, uh, you know, veteran issues, and um, they're, they're, they're pretty memorable. So it, uh, the nice thing is, you know, I'm meeting a lot of veterans just driving through town. Um, they see the car, and they, you know, beep the horn and, and wave. So... So anyway, it is a big problem, and there, you know, there are a lot of organizations working in this in this in this field, and you know, where we're trying to make a difference is with the amateur motorsports community. Now, Robert, you briefly mentioned it, and we'll get into it now. The Top Dog Championships. What is it? When is it? Where is it? And how can people be a part of it? Yeah, great, great question. So, what we've done is put together, a, you know, a simple little um, event. Uh, for SCCA members, it's kind of like a, a, a track cross, a time attack. Um, but what we've modified it uh, so that we're running just one one car at a time on the track, and we did that to um, so that we could open it up and have novices driving and experienced drivers, you know, competing at the same time. So it, it just you know kind of takes away some of that risk, and uh, and uh, let's. People just come in there, literally, they're daily drivers. But the Top Dog Championships, the difference here is um, uh, people are going to be, they compete individually in class, uh, but they also compete on a service team. So if somebody is an Army veteran, okay, they're going to, you know, if, when they register and come, they're going to compete on the Army team. So it's kind of an ad hoc team, you know, formation as people register. Um, so the event is... Uh, on the 22nd of October, it's at Summit Point Raceway in West Virginia, and we're using the uh, about two-thirds of the Shenandoah circuit there. So for people that have, are familiar with um, um, Shenandoah circuit at Summit Point, we're, we're using everything except that little bit, um, uh, you know, that's the carousel. It's, uh, you know, kind of the, uh, the clone of uh, the carousel from the Nürburgring. And we're doing that, we're, we're leaving that out uh, simply because we expect to have a bunch of novice drivers and, you know, that's, you know, that's probably not the best thing to start on. <laughs> probably not. But anyway, yeah, so, uh, so just again, it's the uh, 22nd of October and uh, registration is over, open. It's on Motorsport Reg and people just have to uh, search for Top Dog Track Cross. And uh, Track Cross is, is the name, a guy named John Felton uh, came up with that name. And he talks, he describes the event as kind of like autocross, but on a racetrack. 
And so he coined this term race, you know, track cross, and that's one car on the track at a time. So um, West Virginia, um, you know, it's about 60 miles uh, west of uh, Washington, D.C. It's literally right on the Virginia, West Virginia border. All right, Robert. Well, uh, thanks for the information, and uh, we look uh, forward to hearing how the event goes. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, and uh, you know, I look forward to anybody you know that's interested to join us out there on the twenty second. We just have a, a few news and notes things to get to. First off, congrats to Graham and Courtney Rahal as they welcomed Tinley Leighton Rahal back on September sixth. Seven pounds, five ounces, 20 and a half inches long. So two girls for Graham now in the family. And uh, Pareto Autosport will be calling them momentarily. <laughs> get them get them signed up. <laughs> be part of the team. But congrats to Graham and Courtney Rahal there. Also, really, it just comes down to, I, I think I have one other note. This from Chris Medlin, F1. If you're Michael Andretti right now, you pick up the phone to Porsche. You can bring Porsche into F1 as your engine partner. You'll get a slot on the grid, no problem. That's kind of the -hmm. the top speak because Porsche, Red Bull, that deal fell through. And then we have our tweets of the week, Justin. What do we got? A lot of good stuff. First off, from Nathan Brown, a hilarious moment from the post-qualifying pressers after Dixon referencing the high tire deg said we might see as many pit stops Sunday as the 500. Joseph Newgarden, you've just got to go a little slower. Dixon, nah, just on pit lane. <laughs> <laughs> At least he can laugh about it now. Yeah, for real. For real. <laughs> Good stuff. Shunk, uh, Steve Shunk on Twitter, who I believe does PR for Borg Warner. Wouldn't it be fun to be able to burn bridges like race car drivers and coaches and get paid massive amounts of money to be welcome back? <laughs> Well, I mean, in, from what we're hearing in terms of massive amounts of money, Alex Pillow isn't necessarily making that with Ganassi, but from what we've heard, he would have made a lot of it at McLaren. Yeah. Ten he, times. Uh, apparently 500000 is the rumor as far as his current deal with Ganassi. McLaren was offering five or $6 million, That's which is a insane. noticeable. No, I mean, yeah, I'm signing a contract too with them without getting out of my next one. I mean, the excitement would just be too much to contain. Sure. I'll sign it. Whatever. Yeah. So that's uh, another one of the uh, tweets of the week. Also is from Indy 44 waiting for Pelot to announce he's under new management. And it is, <laughs> why can't I think of his name? WWE. Vince McMahon. Yes. Vince McMahon. Uh, he's, uh, he's yes. kind of shamed right now. Yes. With the uh, sexual, um, Allegations. Allegations, yeah, sexual harassment and payoffs and all that stuff. So not exactly the best situation right now for Vince McMahon, but in terms of business savvy, he can't be any worse than the team that's around Polo currently. It's really the intensity of Vince McMahon's face in the gift. (laughs) Hey, and if I can get Vince McMahon coming out and doing the walk on pit lane at the 500, I'm all for it. (laughs) And then this, I think the best of the best in the last week, from Carla Fiorenzo. How many IndyCar championships does Will Power have? And it's a picture <laughs> of him throwing up the double birds back from 2011 New Hampshire. Yep. The gift that keeps on giving. Perfection Absolutely. on that tweet. So that that wraps up tweets of the week. All right, time for our random split air driver of the week. We're going back to the fertile pool that is the 2005 champ car season and going with Michael Valiante. Who? Of Dale Coyne Racing. Had a single race with Dale Coyne Racing that year. 
And in fact, their one full-time driver is going to be a future random splitter of the week, driver of the week. And he raced the entire season. But going back to Michael Valiante, race, race four at Portland was his lone race in Camp Car that year. Raced the year before for Walker Racing at Mexico City and impressed Dale Coyne, apparently. Finished 11th at Portland in that lone race. Was actually a native of British Columbia. Uh, let's see. He raced in the Atlantics for three years with Lynx Racing. Finished second and third in the championship. Second in 2002, third in 2003, and then got two races, a chance Walker Racing in Mexico City in 04, Dale Coyne Racing in 05. Also got some um, some action in the uh, Bush Series, then Bush Series, with Chip Ganassi Racing in 2007 and raced the race at Circuit J. Villeneuve in Montreal. But his claim to fame is racing for the in the 24 hours of Daytona and IMSA, raced for several years with one Michael Shank racing. Oh. Yeah. So he, uh, in 2009, was teammates with A.J. Allmendinger, same in 2010. In 2012, he was uh, teammates with Marco Andretti and Ryan hunter Ray with Starworks Motorsport. Looking at everything else, you know, he was in the Rolex Sports Car Series, America Le Mans. Drove for Michael Shank, as I said, in 2013. Really went to sports cars after that and raced a Daytona prototype as well, the Spirit of Daytona. And in 2007, made that single Bush Series start for Chip Ganassi Racing. Started 21st, finished 34th. But in terms of his um, champ car career, he was originally going to start his career in Champ Car in 2003, but the race was canceled due to wildfires in the area. They were oh, supposed to race yes. at California Speedway yes. in 03. I remember that. So he was supposed to race that race in 2003, but didn't make his appearance, first appearance in Champ Car till the next year in Mexico City. He was uh, then that one-off for Dale Coyne at Portland and was not able to secure a full-time ride in the series after that due to his lack of financial backing. So a guy that came through in Atlantic's, um, looked pretty solid there, but then just two appearances, two race starts in the Champ Car World Series, and then headed to sports cars. But uh, that is this week's random split era driver of the week, Mr. Michael Valiante. And with some other, I'm sure, past or future random split era drivers of the week as teammates, Ronnie Brewer with Coin, uh, and then Ricardo Sparafico. That was the guy that raced the entire season. Yes. I have no idea who Ricardo Sparafico yeah, is. I, I, yeah. I mean, usually same. we have to go with guys that, you know, partial season or a couple races. That dude raced the whole year, and I have no idea Never who heard he of him. Yep. Yep. I, I'll be honest. I don't think I was plugged into Champ Car in 2005. I was plugged into Cart you know, a couple years earlier, but then I think by that point I was mostly just watching, at the time, what was the IRL. Any racing league, not in real life for <laughs> our Gen Z listeners, to, yes. to be clear. Right. Well, you know, Roger Penske still at times calls it the RL, so. Yeah, that's true. Drive, <laughs> drives everyone wild every time, too. And rightfully so. Hey, he's, he's the owner. He can call it whatever the hell he wants. True. It's it's his series. He, he, can, he can do that and get away with it. Yep. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode. Next week, we are fully into the off season. Hard to believe. It'll be the first off-season edition 
as far as post 2022 season for IndyCar. That is next week. I'm sure we'll have some announcements come down here and there, and we'll cover it all next week. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. A veteran charity is hosting a new track series to reduce veteran suicide. The format is track cross, like a time trial or time attack, but with just one car running at a time. Drivers compete individually and as teams. The event is at Summit Point Raceway on October 22nd. Registration is on motorsportreg.com. Search for Top Dog Track Cross. Podcasts by Federated Media.